Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Do we talk about how Vince McMahon's a horrible person? Do do what now? Do we talk about how Vince McMahon is a horrible person? Or Do we just already have that conversation in a previous show? You could edit it in right here. (laughs) He's one of very few people in the world with whom these types of allegations could come out. And I'm like, at first I almost didn't read it. And then I'm like, oh, they're new. <laughs> like, it was like, I thought this was just like more of the old stuff. And then I'm like, oh, it's not really shocking. Is it shocking that gross dude bros are defending him online? Uh, I haven't heard anything. So what do you do this time? Oh, <sighs> Well, one of the women he paid off, he didn't fully pay her her money. So the NDA is uh, not uh, enforceable, I guess. And so now she's suing him. And so all the details about what he did to her are public, allegedly. Um, and it's pretty gross. Yeah. We don't need to get into the specific details of that. Well, there's federal sex trafficking charges. Yeah. So. Uh, he basically forced her to sleep with other dudes. And, um, yeah. It's pretty, uh, the details are pretty graphic. And it's pretty he's, gross. He's out now. That's the good news. Like, yeah. It seems like he's, this is probably the last hurrah for him. He's probably done. Yeah. Well, now that he's out, there's no official way for him to get back in, apparently. Yeah, he sold it. Last time he was able to bully his way back in. Yeah. There is another meme going around. It's like Vince McMahon in a luchador mask, and it says, like, oh, yeah. Mr. Connecticut hired on by the board of TKO, which is mild yeah. funny. For people who remember the Mr. America gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. But yeah, like you said. Once you hear the details, you're like, oh, none of this surprised me whatsoever. No. I think if anything, what surprised me is that this new company seems to actually be doing stuff about it. Because apparently, like, I I, yeah. I haven't watched any, I still haven't watched wrestling. I only read about it. But it's like, apparently there are guys that were supposed to be in the Royal Rumble that weren't. Oh, yeah. Mr. Brock Lesnar wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, for a very specific reason. Yeah. And a fun fact is I've hated Brock Lesnar for a long time. So, Oh, yeah. I've known he's a garbage person forever. Yeah. Yeah. But then, yeah, all these people in these challenge, in these comment sections are just like, no, nah, that doesn't sound like Vince. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It sounds exactly like Vince. It sounds exactly. Like, this is not surprising. No. 
And then other people are like, yeah, it doesn't sound like Brock Lesnar. I'm like, well, it doesn't. Terry Reynolds would like to have a conversation with you. Yeah. What? Can we move on from that now? Famous athletes and personalities are bad beaver. (laughs) Yeah. How could it be? The, the, The Brock Lesnar thing is not as egregious as the Vince McMahon stuff. It's still pretty bad, but yeah thing is he double fucked him because he was trying to get on the ufc 300 card too and since they're owned by the same company now he's definitely out like with the amount of money that they spent buying up that company i could see how they'd want to protect their image something like this comes out right away it's the first time the spotlight's been on them yeah apparently um the the guy that runs it all like the head head guy is not afraid to just burn the forest down to start over. So there's, you know, people are saying a lot of people backstage seem to kind of know what was going on and nobody said anything. Cause what the fuck are you going to do? It's Vince McMahon. Well, that's yeah. whatever. It's always the problem with these scenarios is like, you want to be mad at the people who didn't say anything, but mm. the whole point here is that Vince had the ability to crush this woman if he wanted to. And that's what made what he did so horrible. Well, he had the ability to crush all those people too. So it's hard. It's like, uh, no, apparently he had, um, sex toys that he named after specific wrestlers. Okay. And Why are we talking about this? I don't know. Just cause it's, I know we happened. drift into, we drift into just, the wrestling territory quite often, but normally it's for fun reasons. I think I'm more just like I'm, tr- uh, I'm trying to imagine what they would be. Uh, like dildo. dildos, apparently. Well, like he's got a butt plug named Hulk Hogan because it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of jokes about uh, such things. Did you guys hear that uh, Kevin Bacon and his wife are going to star in a movie together? It's the first time in 20 years they've been in a movie together. They've been married that entire time, and there's been no scandals with either one of them. Is it the Vince McMahon story? Because that's the only story Fuck, I'm interested I'm in. Right trying to. <laughs> Christ. You know what? I think uh, Kevin Bacon, you throw a weird little Tapatio man mustache on him. Oh. Well, you could be disappointed knowing he shaved his mustache. That's it. Well, that's good. So at least he's finally finished one of his crimes. <laughs> the uh, Dark Side of the Ring guys just announced their lineup for the next season. I bet they're real pissed right now. They're like, "God damn it, we could have we could have waited one more year. We could have done one more, and it would have been a big one." Wasn't it? Isn't there a new Vince documentary coming out too? Uh, supposedly, I don't. I don't know. Because I keep hearing one, and I think there was like a puff piece one that was being worked on that I think got canceled, and then yeah, I thought there was a Netflix one I've, coming out. Yeah, I think that's the one that got canceled. Oh, okay. I think I've heard a sort of more of like a negative one, which would be you know the one I would really want to see. And um, I just like an honest one. If I was going to watch one, well, yeah, I mean, I want it to be honest, but in order for it to be honest, it has to it be has pretty to, negative. It has to be pretty negative yeah. because. Even outside of all this, like he's he's never been a good person. Like 
No. If you go not back, surprising. Uh, the podcast Behind the Bastards did like a five-part series on Vince, and it kind of explored the wrestling industry as well. And if you want to know, I'm not. You might not want to know everything they say in that podcast, no. but if you do want to know, it's there. Um. Yeah. What a piece of garbage. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know what else was a piece of garbage? At least one of these movies. Oh. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Did you have that one planned? Because you, you no. actually transitioned off your own comment this time. No, no, that that actually, but you know, I feel it's fitting. Um, right. So Doug picked Salem's Lot and returned to Salem's Lot so that it wouldn't interfere with Fanuary. Correct. Although somehow this is going up February fifth, so thus interfering with Fanuary. What? I checked with you before I, <laughs> before I did this. <laughs> and you're in charge of scheduling. Who else? I don't recall to check that. With? I didn't check with you. I only checked with Brian. You asked me when the next one was going up, and I said Monday. And then you're like, "Okay, well, I still got one more to choose from." <sighs> you screwed me over. And then I was looking at it today. I'm like, "This one's going to go up on the fifth. God damn it! Doug doesn't know how to schedule stuff. No, I I do know how to schedule stuff. I ask the guy in charge scheduling <laughs> and see what he says. <laughs> We hadn't even recorded the last one yet when you asked. That's not how to schedule. It doesn't matter. Uh, so you picked <laughs> Salem's Lot and returned to Salem's Lot. Like, right. people don't expect us to stay on an actual schedule. Come on. No, no. Even though we did get a very nice review that I it will is, read later. It is a leap year. So maybe that's why. Maybe. Is it, is it sure. a leap year? Am I, or am it, I being it is a leap year. <laughs> okay. You're correct. Um, so Doug wanted to cross off a movie that he said has been on his list for a while, which is the Toby Hooper Salem's Lot TV miniseries. It's literally uh, been on my list as far back as I've had a list, I think. Yeah. So this is the first time watch for you. So Doug, tell us all about Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot. Let's see. Um, there's a town and some, so far uh, so good. Well, the first 45 minutes, that is the plot. There's a town. Yeah. Um, and there's a new antique shop opening up. And meanwhile, people start to get sick and stuff. And it turns out vampires. Mm-hmm. Kind of kind of leaves out the most important part about the main character being a, a writer that comes there to write a story about the creepy house. But sure. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> well, that kind of starts out as like a plot point and then sort of just disappears. Yeah, the kind first, of a plot point in the book, though. The first hour of the movie is a lot of nothing going on, and it's made in that way that I actually enjoy. So, because yeah. like I like those seventies films that are kind of long and drawn out and meandering. I've always been a fan of that, so I enjoyed it. But like, because I had to watch this movie in chunks because it's three hours long, and who has three hours to sit down in a row? But the first oh. time I stopped it, I think I was forty-eight minutes in, mm-hmm. and as I was like thinking about it, I'm like, I don't think anything's happened yet. Like, I don't think there's a movie here yet. Again, not not enjoying it, just when I'm like, okay, what has happened so far? Not not a damn thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and there's a lot of little subplots that are in there where it's like, like there's like a weird love triangle with the the writer and Die Hard's wife and her (laughs) ex-boyfriend. Die Hard's wife. And Uh. it's... Like there's this there's this whole thing that goes on there, and I'm like, but I don't know why. 
Like, I don't know why that's in here other than just to make the movie longer. And well, and because it's based on a Stephen King book, I assume he dedicated 11 and a half chapters to that love triangle. I was going to say abusive, the abusive boyfriend slash ex-husband is a uh, big Stephen yeah. King trope. That yeah, he likes if, to there, toss in there. if there wasn't one, he'd be upset. So, yeah. so yeah, that like, because it's funny you mentioned last week, that, or maybe it was in the chat, that there is a, a shortened version of this. And it's like, yeah, you could easily make a shorter version of this. I'm sure they fucked it up and cut out the wrong stuff, but yeah, that's the general consensus that it's not good. Okay, so. you know, it, it, and the weird thing is, is I I agree with you that in the first 45 minutes, there's a lot of nothing happening, but in the the second two parts of the miniseries, I feel like everything goes so fucking fast. Like they don't give anything yeah. a chance to develop. I agree with that. It's I. I'll say this: as much as I enjoyed the slow build of the first part, once the actual vampire stuff shows up, I fucking love all the vampire stuff. I think they do a great job with it. Mm-hmm. Like the the famous like guy hovering outside the window that everybody knows the visual of. Yeah, I figured that's not going to be very effective because I know it's coming. And then it's happening, and I'm like, this is one of the creepiest things I've seen in a long mm-hmm. fucking time, and it's. They do it a couple of times too, and it's really effective each time with like these kid hovering outside his brother's window, and it's like it's a fun play on like the Dracula story where Lucy was in the bed and Dracula would come in at night and drink her blood. But it's like so it's a fun play on the classic thing, but it's also really effective horror filmmaking. Yeah, and that's where the Toby, Toby Hooper part of it comes in because he yeah. he finds these set pieces to really showcase like. Here's something we can do with TV restrictions and it be one of the most creepiest things you've ever seen in like any movie. Yeah. Like for me, there's three big things in this movie. Cause I actually have some problems with this movie. Okay. But it's basically just cause I'm a giant King nerd and the book is way better. Yeah, of course. Um, the, uh, the, the Danny Glick stuff of him hovering out the window fucking terrifying and creepy especially when you if you watch this when you're like six years old like i did yeah just one of the most terrifying things ever creepy as shit uh mike ryerson in the uh cemetery when like he opens the coffin and the kid's in there and the kid's eyes open up and then yeah bites him fucked yeah. up if you have to you can't use character names like that and expect me to know what you're talking about you have to get sorry name. jeffrey lewis <laughs> um and then the part where mike ryerson is stays at that teacher's house and then he dies and then the next next night he's the the teacher hears him up in the room and goes up to like check out and see what's going on that shot of him sitting in that rocking chair oh yeah is fucking horrifying do you you know how did they do the special effect with the eyes i think it was just reflective lenses that he put in because those eyes are just one of the most perfect fucking things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I just don't. Amazing. And I I agree. Maybe it's just reflective contact lenses. But if that's reflective contact lenses, it's just done in such a great way. Because you don't see them shining a light to get them to bounce yeah. the light back. No. Well, and, and like Brian already alluded to this, but that's what Toby Hooper is good at, right? Is creating atmosphere out of simple scenes that's i mean that's what makes texas chainsaw so effective um which is obviously his best known work um 
it, it, he is able to just kind of craft these little moments where nothing big has to happen, but it makes you feel uneasy so that it carries you through to the next scene of the movie and you're really anticipating what's coming next. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one of the weird things I, in maybe, maybe it's because my memory of the book and the miniseries got jumbled up in my head or something. Mm-hmm. I could have sworn. I remembered one of the things I loved about this was that the ethos of the vampires gets really, really well defined where they kind of like, you know, these are the rules. These are what they can do. This is what they can't do. This is the things that stop them and repels them and how it all works. And then whenever I was watching this, I was like, oh, you know what? It's all super vague. Yeah, it is. It is vague, um, which I was fine with. But yeah, I feel like the book, it's been a while since I read the book, but I feel like they uh, do lay that out. And we get a little bit of stuff in the book in this movie Whereas we talked about where first hour just kind of plods along without sort of advancing anything with the vampire stuff at all, Uh, which the King really does in the book. And it's super effective because we spend time getting to know everybody and they, you know, cherry pick a couple characters from the book to put in because there's just not enough time to go through all of it. But um, we really in the book you really dig into like that small town with secrets and stuff and you know just getting to know people in the town and then creepy shit starts happening and so when certain characters end up getting overtaken or whatever it feels a lot more personal than just having you know fodder for a body count i really like the actor's performance as a striker oh james mason yeah Mm mm-hmm I think yeah. all the acting is surprisingly good, especially even the kids. Kids in a 70s TV movie is, tends to be problematic, and they weren't, which is... You know, it's, oh, you mean the, the Glick kids where they're walking home, and the younger brother's like, hey, I'm kind of scared, and the other kid's like, fuck off, and just like runs and <laughs> leaves them behind to get killed by a vampire? Yeah. You know what's that, not that good in this real. movie? What? Fucking Baron Olaf von Derpenstein, the fucking <laughs> arguably one of the worst looking vampires in the whole movie is the main yeah. vampire, which is weird. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think it looks bad. Oh my! You don't think that fucking blue paint is real bad? No. Okay. I, I just I like the look of it. There's times where he's maybe a little too well lit and it kind of, it becomes obvious that it's like, you know, it takes you out of the realism a little bit, but I don't think it's terrible at all. I really liked everything involving a vampire in this movie. I enjoyed. Um, So that's one of the big problems I had because in the book, um, the vampire is more, it's more like Dracula, I guess. Yeah, uh, he's like articulate and can talk, whatever. And so the uh, sort of his companion doesn't have as big of a part. And they decided, you know, for the movie, we'll put in like a sort of a feral, you know, vampire character, and then have his companion be sort of the human anchor for everything, so he can still go out and okay, so that's added talk and whatever. Yeah, so that's different. 
which at first apparently I read King was not a fan of, but then when he saw it, he actually kind of liked that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things I've always kind of hated about it. I'm just like, that's not Barlow. That's not how that works. As I've gotten older, it's less of a problem. I do agree. The makeup I'm still not a huge fan of. Um, but then they did a 2004 TNT mini series with Rob Lowe. Yeah. And they put, uh, and Noah like this, they put Rutger Hauer in that character and he's more, he's more like the character in the book. So he's, you know, articulate and talks or whatever. And it doesn't work in that one either. I know I've, I know I've seen it. Yeah. I just, none of it is in my brain. So I'm assuming it wasn't very interesting. No, I have it. I've watched it. It was like, that's horrible. I was going to say the scene in this that always stuck in my mind. And once again, I think maybe it's the blending of the book and the movie together. But uh, when what's his face, the the main kid, whenever he's sitting there with the priest and his family and Barlow smashes into the house. Yeah. Kind of in defiance of the rule of you have to be invited in to kind of show how powerful the master vampire is. And I, it, it, it's still good in in the film version, but I don't. Once again, I don't. I feel like they didn't establish that rule well enough for it to kind of mean anything. Yeah, there are lines of dialogue about them needing to be invited in, but it's not hammered home to the point where it makes him being able to come in against the rules a big deal. Still, yeah. it's still a cool scene. It's just maybe not as impactful as it could be. And I feel like this is where the splitting up the feral vampire and the the companion or whatever, I think kind of hurts that scene because in, in the book, the scene plays out very similar, but it, you know, the vampire crashes into the kitchen or whatever. And then he's the one talking back and forth to the priest, like, you know, throw your cross away. It'll be your faith versus my power type stuff. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in this one, you have someone walking in from a room and it's like, how the fuck did you get in here? And he's just like, no, do it. I'm just like, oh, I don't feel like that scene works as well when you have someone almost translating for him. I was going to say, that's I, I feel like that's a thing that gets lost in this miniseries, too, is that the priest character, you don't you don't get a chance to get to know him mm-hmm. before he has his yeah. uh, his moment of weakness. Yeah. Which, I, I, like I said, it loses it loses all the impact of you know that <laughs> he's just he's just doing his best, but it turns out he doesn't like he does he lacks conviction. Yeah, yeah they have a whole whole other um, section in the book after this confrontation where um, he like tries to go back to the church after fighting the vampire, and you know he lost, and the vampire bit him. And he tries to go into the church and he touches the handle and like burns his hand. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So he has this, you know, oh, I've, I've completely lost. I'm not even allowed in my church anymore. Like my entire life is now over. And he eventually just gets on a bus and leaves town. And so he's basically, you know, destroyed this character and stuff. And they don't, yeah, there's not really a chance to sort of build on that in this this mini series, which maybe the mini series doesn't really need it. No, it, that sounds very interesting, but I don't know if it felt like it was missing from this, having not read the book. Yeah, for sure. And as Noah pointed out, we get to know the priest a little bit better 
throughout yeah. the book before all this happens. So. It, it would be interesting to spend more time with that character and to have that confrontation of like the two opposing faiths kind of thing mean more, but yeah. And to have evil win, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's, that's kind of the running theme of the book is that the vampire pretty much wins every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, sort of the ending is about the same where they end up the kid and the, um, the writer end up leaving town and then, you know, sort of make a, like a, a, we have to go back and finish everything sort of, uh, sort of thing. But they, um, they do it in this, but they're hanging out in Mexico and they decide to do it. It's kind of weird, but yeah, the idea that they ran all the way down there and they get yeah, from, from Maine. That's it's, it's pre nine eleven, so you can just take somebody else's kid and cross the border, and, and nobody cares. Yeah, cross state lines. Yeah, out of the country. No, well, it kind of makes the redemption of the priest in the Dark Tower series interesting too, because it kind of what he ends up doing kind of parallels what they did, where all of a sudden he becomes the hunter. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The priest character, yeah, shows up again in book five of the Dark Tower. Which is very interesting. Um, so there was thought after this mini series of maybe doing like a TV series. Oh yeah. So it'd be our favorite eighties trope where they go town to town and fight vampires. <laughs> That'd be fun. Which I'm, I, I probably would have been on board for. Yeah, that sounds yeah. pretty dope. <laughs> just every week, there's just a, and then like the season finale is when they have to fight a master. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. They'd have to have like some kind of like command center that's like we've identified a vampire in this town, but we don't know who it is, and every week they have to like investigate. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be like a newspaper guy. And he's like, Well, the AP wire has been saying that there's people missing in this town down in uh, Missouri. <laughs> so they make their way there, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I could I could definitely see that. I don't know if they would hold up this quality week to week. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I don't know if you're getting Toby Hooper in to do it week to week. <laughs> it could have been a very Kolchak sort of uh, series, though. I which guess would have been enjoyable. Would they end up chasing other monsters? Do you think, or just vampires? Maybe, maybe they show up to one and they're like, "Oh, it's vampires," and it's like, "Nope, werewolves." And we're like, "God damn it, Ermagerd! <laughs> it's a Frankenstein." You know what uh, else? Uh, I, I don't know. When I just mentioned Toby Hooper's name, I got thinking about this. One of the brilliant things in Texas Chainsaw Massacre is how little gore there actually is in the movie. Yeah. And I think he uses it to really good effect in this as well, because yeah, yeah, here yeah. it's more like they're restricted. But whenever they go in for the bite, it like cuts to commercial right as the bite's happening and stuff. And I can just imagine like if you're watching this on TV in 1979, they go in for that big bite and you're freaking out and then it cuts to a commercial and you're like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> it must have been really effective when it was new. Yeah. Well, I feel like he does a really good, uh, there's a really good sort of um, jump scare use where like we mentioned earlier with the kids, they're walking home through the woods and yeah, you know, the wind starts blowing and then one of them is like, Oh no, I'm scared. And then he turns like towards the camera. But then like, just as he does it from the bottom of the screen, like a figure yeah. rises up into frame and that's your perfect like commercial break cut right there. And I feel like it's good enough where you're like, oh, I know exactly what happened. But yeah. 
They don't have to show anything. Yeah, they can get away with it by TV standards. Yeah, yeah. Just a, a random side note. The wind effect in that scene, really, really well done. Yeah. Like, it's hard to make it look windy on a set, and they just did it. And I'm like, oh, look at that. It looks like they're in the woods and it's windy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Want to talk about Fred Willard? <laughs> Banging his secretary? In his silk underoos? <laughs> what? That's another weird finds subplot. Very intriguing. It's a very weird subplot that didn't necessarily need to be in it, but <laughs> that whole that whole thing where like because like it's all like there's like a ten minute lead up about this like affair, this like woman's having an affair with her boss, and then her husband's gonna catch them, and then her husband like scares him off, and it's all like a lead up for the vampires to just kill this guy. And I'm like, you could have just had him walking home from the store and a vampire grabbed him too. Like, <laughs> I want to, I want to see there's more to it in the book too. Like, I'm sure there, there is. is in the book. I'm sure is, those yeah. characters are more fleshed out and therefore it all feels more relevant. Mm-hmm. Whereas here it feels like I, if, watching it and knowing it's a King story. I'm going, I bet you I knew all these, who all these people were if I'm reading the book and here yeah. I just don't. But I mean, it kind of has uh, the book has that tone that's very similar to what happens in it and needful things and stuff that there is that evil is in the town and it's it's yeah. kind of suffusing everything and making everyone degrade. Well, it's yeah, because I mean, this is a take on the classic Dracula story, right? It has yeah. a lot of the tropes with the coming in through the window at night and the big case being delivered to the basement. and You know what I mean? And the guys are like, what are we delivering this thing? It's all cold and all that. It's like, okay, you know, it's got that whole feel to it. And the idea that the town, something happens to the town when the vampire arrives and it's not just the killings. It's also just this sense of evil and dread that's being taken over. Um, it all, it all, and I think it all translates in the film version, but I can imagine it's better in the book because it's just easier to do that in a book. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's the in in the book, it's more of the vampire is a symptom of the disease. Yeah, he wrote a very like Lovecraftian prequel short story called Jeru- Jerusalem's Lot. It takes place in like the eighteen hundreds, and they made. Um, there's a series on one of those streaming networks that like nobody subscribes to, like Chapelweight, MGM Plus or something. And it's called Chapelweight, and that's based off that short story. Okay, uh, it's although, got, uh, although they Brody in it. they change it a lot. Yeah, I, I haven't watched it. So I actually feel like I read that short story. Did you say you haven't watched it? No, because it's on one of those streaming services. Oh man, like, it's it's real good too. Friend of mine had it on his Plex, and he doesn't have it on there anymore. I yeah. should message him and see what. It uh the the big thing they changed from the short story is you know the short story is about uh the cult worshiping that worm god, mm-hmm. and in Chapelwaith because it's a they wanted to tie it more to Salem's Lot. Of course, they're vampires. Oh, interesting. Which is kind of interesting, but besides that, it's kind of similar. It's just instead of a cult of people worshiping the worm god, it's a cult of vampires worshiping a worm god, kind of. Yeah. Um, I had a point. I completely forgot what it was. I don't know. 
Oh no, this is a very well done miniseries. Yeah. It is, especially for like 1979, 1980, whatever it is. Yeah, it's... wish they could have kept that shit up. But uh, yeah, man. I wish. Yeah, I wish stuff like this still came out. It doesn't anymore. Um, it doesn't. In the few times that they've tried it, like it's just always bad. Yeah, I feel like the, the there was a magic in the seventies and the early eighties where made for TV stuff was better than it ever will be again. It's just yeah. it's that sweet spot where it was like really good. Yeah, because they were making stuff for like adults. It wasn't like a four quadrant, like you know. Yeah. Got to make sure everybody enjoys this so we can get the maximum ratings or whatever. Yeah. Because there's like made for TV horror movies that I remember from growing up. Oh, yeah. Like I've found a couple of them on YouTube and I've rewatched them. There's one called um, The People Across the Lake with uh, Major Dad and Valerie uh, Harper in it as they like move from the city into like this super small town and. Turns out there was a big murder, and the murderer dumped the bodies into the lake. And I rewatched it, and I'm just like, holy shit, some of this shit is really fucked up. Yeah. <clears throat> and the fact this was on, like, Tuesday night on, like, NBC yeah, but it, is, like, insane to me. These these were, these made-for-TV movies were a big deal, and you can tell it, like, even with Salem's Lot, it's not, it's not just us that think this is good. Like, it has this huge reputation that has lasted for decades, and yeah. it's like when you go back and watch anything with vampires in it from the eighties, you can see the influence. Like this is like a real sticking point where you can, you can clearly see how like classic vampire lore feeds into this story. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, it's basically a take oh. on Dracula to a certain extent. That was, that was the point I forgot. What? So King, uh, wanted to write <clears throat> essentially his version of Dracula. So you are correct. Yeah. Um, and he thought about it and he's like, well, if a vampire was really going to come to America and try to take it over, he wouldn't like go to New York. Like he would get found out like right away. Like you would start in like this small town that you could take that over. Yeah. And then you could move on to like another somewhat bigger town, but you would have all these vampire, like vampire army slowly building up and stuff. And so, yeah, setting it like in the super small town, that's sort of cut off from the rest of the rest of the world. Yeah. Just to the point that it's very insular and, you know, there's not a lot of people driving through town and stuff like that. Um, it just He thought it was an interesting setting for I, a story like that, which I completely agree. I, I 100% agree. Also, like, I don't I don't believe he put that much thought into it. I think he just wrote everything in a small town in Maine. But, um, I, well, like, this I, was his second book. He may have put some thought into that okay. and then... And then kept going afterwards. Yeah, I guess until this sold, he couldn't afford cocaine. So. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyways, like I agree, it's it's an interesting way to change it up. Because if it was set in New York or something like that, it would feel like a remake of Dracula. And yeah. here it it has its own unique flavor. Um, I think mm. I think Maine or like that whole New England area is the ideal spot for it. It has sort of that history of like the, the witch trials and stuff. Um, and it has, I don't know, there's a feel to it that's a little different. It's not like hick small town. It's more like there's something refined about it compared to like what you imagine if it was oh, a small sure. town in the Midwest. Um, and and I, I think that atmosphere really works for this particular story. Mm-hmm. So it's it really yeah. was the right move to, to change that and to make it a smaller town. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I mean, the town, like you said, it's not, and this may be the problem that we'll we'll see in the next movie, is that the town is, not, it's a small town, but it's not like, like you said, it's not Hicksville. Yeah. Like, they got a nice realty office, the guy who basically sells everybody their house, and there's a school, and like, you know, everything, like. It doesn't feel poor, I guess, is what it comes to. Yes, to. yes. Everybody seems well off the, the town doctor lives in town, and, you know. Yeah. He uh, sort of deals with everybody, but yeah, nobody seems like they're like dirt poor. Like, you know, even the, the, the real estate's real estate guy's secretary who finds out his wife's cheating, they portray him as like the blue collar guy. So he's the guy that they need stuff hauled. He's the guy they call. He doesn't even seem like that. No. You know, that bad off or whatever it's just everybody's got their own thing and the town is thriving enough there's people don't seem that um mystified mystified by the fact that a antique shop is opening in town like everybody's just sort of oh yeah new antique stores yeah. coming in yeah and, and like the idea that like i think you would have a a small economy of people who would be traveling through and just stopping to antique and they would eat at your restaurant and maybe stay at your little inn. And that would be enough to keep a town going because it's pretty cheap to live out there. You know what I mean? It all, it all makes sense. And it all, it all suits perfectly this, uh, the atmosphere they're going for. Yeah. So I think it really- Which is stuff King is like great at. Yeah. And that's the thing I love about the book, which I would recommend, even if, even if um, you've seen the movie, I would, recommend people read the book the book's a really good read and um it um it has even more like i've been saying they have even more like different small characters throughout the town or whatever yeah which he's always been really good at and this is his first chance to really sort of dive into that type of stuff um because even stuff like um needful things uh he really dives into that and so there's a lot of like different aspects of the small town in castle rock and different characters and stuff. And one of the things I was always disappointed with, with the movie needful things is they don't can't really jump into sort of that aspect of it because you only got like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I was not aware until like last year that there is a three hour cut of that movie that adds more of that stuff back in that they right. used to show on like TNT or something. And so it just got released on Blu-ray. So I picked it up, but I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it yet. That'd be interesting. I'm interested. Yeah, I'm interested how that changes. So it. movies a little 90s might not work as well as it did here, but I 100% agree with that. Yeah, yeah. but it's also got Bonnie Bedelia in it, so it's a, it works. It's a crossover. Um, yeah. Uh, how do we feel about Jeffrey Lewis in this movie? Like I'd mentioned before, his character. Which one's he? Uh, the writer. Mike, the writer. Mike Ryerson, the the cemetery guy who, oh, right. yeah, stays with the teacher for a little bit. Yeah. No. It's it's dark. Uh, Ju- Juliet Lewis's uh, dad, by the way. Okay. Yeah, it, it's it's a dark turn, like you say. That final moment when he comes, when the guy's dead, and he comes in, and he's still in the room, sitting up in that chair. Yeah. That is a fantastic moment. Like mm. that is just like. And I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to describe the effectiveness of, of he's just sitting there rocking. But again, that's Toby Hooper's ability to do that, to take a nothing scene and create atmosphere with it. I don't know how he does it. It's magic. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he is staying with the teacher and then 
teacher finds him dead. Yeah. And then they have the ambulance come pick him up and cart him out and they take him to the morgue and stuff. So, I mean, they show all that. Yeah. So then, yeah, the next night when you hear noise up there and he goes up there and he's sitting in the rocking chair, just rocking back and forth. I'm just like, oh no, that's fucked. I don't like that think, at all. Could you imagine being that guy though? You like bring this guy into your home and he dies and you're like, fuck, that's just, that sucks. Like, and you're, you're like, that'd be hard to process and hard to deal with. And then the next day he shows back up like Jesus. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, th- I think the slow pacing of the film really gives you time to process some, certain things like that too, where you are like, like you say, we did follow it that where we showed the body go to the morgue and everything. So we took the time with all that. And then we're like, so we're kind of going along with this journey with this guy of, okay, he's dead. We've, we've called the authorities. We've moved him along. And then mm-hmm. fucking you hear the rocking in the room. You're like, ah, shit, he's up there, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, really great stuff. Um, And then uh, the guy doesn't get the girl at the end. They kill her off. Yeah. At the end of the movie. Pretty dark ending when you think about it. It is a very dark ending. Like. You've already got this guy who's run off with this kid because they're the only two survivors, basically. Like, they didn't even know each other at the beginning of the movie. And then the whole thing of, like, yeah, he's got to kill the girl that he likes. And then they're like, I guess we should go kill a bunch more. It's still weird that they did make them go to, like, what was it, Guatemala or something? Yeah. Mexico, whatever it was. South America, anyway, and it's like, why? Why did you have to like that? Feels a lot like maybe somebody on the crew was like, you know, if we set these scenes in Mexico, all of us get to go to Mexico. <laughs> well, which they didn't do. They just showed a picture yeah. of a mission in Mexico, and then okay. Um, but yeah, weirdly, like I guess it's bottles of holy water glow when vampires are around. That yeah. isn't yeah, explained. Once again, vague, vague rules. I like that element of it. I like the idea that the, the you can kind of it serves as like a vampire alarm. <laughs> it's a neat idea, but it's not explored quite deeply enough. It, I, I wish it was explained at some point. Yeah. I mean, I guess you just explained it. They glow when there's vampires. <laughs> That's it. Like there isn't like what else would they say? Yeah, but they could have just. Like, had a quick explanation. Yeah, of it just. just like, I guess when it comes to stuff like that, you run the risk of like it ruining it by explaining it. All of a sudden, you're like, "What? Holy water knows when there's metachlorians around? Like, we, do we need to know that?" Like, it's <laughs> well, they have the teacher sort of doing research on ancient, you know, yeah. whatever. He could have just said, "Well, it says in this text that sometimes holy water will glow if a vampire is nearby," and that literally could have just been it. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, if we figured it out, we, pe- yeah. we pieced it together clever as we are. Um, does this seem like something you'd be excited to watch when you were younger and it was like on TV and you're like, oh, this is a vampire show that's going to be on. Oh, me? Yeah. Normal people? Probably not. But me? Yeah. <laughs> well, because I've heard, like the first time I heard about this is because it scared the hell out of my older brother when it was on TV originally. And he would have been like five. And watched it on TV because yeah. that's how my parents were. <laughs> and so it's like, and so like in the eighties, I would hear about how he was scared of these, this vampire show, but there was no way to watch it back then. And so I always wanted to see it. And then when video stores came around and stuff like this started getting releases, I started thinking I should see it. And then 
Yeah. 40 years later, here we are. I finally watched it. <laughs> <laughs> finally around. This this movie exists on the internet somewhere. They must have did some re-showing of this whenever I was a kid, because I very oh. distinctly remember watching it in miniseries format on TV. Yeah, it's very possible that it was replayed a few times or something. Or even just like local affiliates might have been able to get the rights to it. That did happen a lot back then. Yeah. Yeah, so this was the the first Stephen King miniseries for TV. Yeah. And you can understand why people saw this and why we should do more. Like, yeah. It took him like 10 years. but And that's, that's the, the thing about the way King writes is you cannot turn a King novel into a movie. It just doesn't work. It never really seems to. You can turn a King novel into six hours of television, or you can take a short story and make a movie out of it. But they're, they're yeah. as as big as King's books are, they're also dense. Like there's a lot going on, and it's really hard to fit that into a film format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like this one because I think uh, they were attempting to, and they decided to do it as a miniseries instead. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And uh, just recently, within the past couple of years, shot a movie version of this. And it is done, ready to come out, but apparently has been shelved indefinitely. Hasn't quite been given the Batgirl treatment yet. Not quite. But it was like on a release schedule and then taken off the release schedule. And yeah. they don't know what they're doing with it yet. So it's just sitting I think there. Now waiting. it says 2024 on it. Yeah. Well, what's really weird so, about that is that, that has no influence on whether I'll want to, whether I think it's good or not. Like sometimes yeah. when a movie sits for two years, it's because it's terrible and they don't know what to do with it. Sometimes it sits for two years because Hollywood is stupid. Well, and, and this is Warner Brothers too doing oh, this. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not surprising. Yeah. But. What a, what a shit show of a, of a <laughs> studio. <laughs> Just. So I'm interested to check it out to see what a two-hour movie version of this could be. Yeah. Um, maybe they could find a way to do it. But, I mean, I still feel like like this version, the 2004 version, none of them has really sort of nailed the story as good as the book. And which nobody nobody ever usually really does. But no. it's um, it's just interesting that keep coming back to this one to do is like a, um, a mini series twice now. And then they're trying for a movie and, uh, Salem's lot showed up in, um, the castle rock series on Hulu. Oh yeah. Cause it was like a town over and showed up in the first season where a character ended up there waiting for the bus to travel on to castle rock. And they noted how it was nighttime out and it seemed like the, all the streets were deserted and stuff. And I'm like, Ooh, that's because of Salem's lot. There's vampires. There. <laughs> uh, and then in the second season, the Marston house actually played a plot point where there was okay. people were like hypnotized or something to search for something that was buried under the house or something. So it was just interesting. I never finished the second season. I need to go back to it. But yeah. So positives all around, I would say. I'm yeah. extremely positive. Yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed watching this. Um, I don't probably recommend trying to sit and watch the full three hours nonstop because it was never made to be watched that way. But yeah, it, I it, did. Yeah. And I mean, but I fell asleep during part of it too. Yeah. 
but I had seen it multiple times. So yeah, I was like, yeah. that's the thing. I, I would probably watch it in hour segments. Is what I would yeah. do. But you know, however it works out. Uh, one thing like we said. Sorry. I was just gonna say the one thing we haven't talked about yet is how influential this movie is on other things that we like. Because yeah. like obviously Lost Boys, the, the brother floating outside the window is a whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. But sure. how many visuals did uh, Fright Night lift from this? Oh, totally. Like the the one the one the cross to the forehead scene is like lifted. Mm-hmm. Um, I I actually think Jerry Dandridge's house is based on this house. If you look at when they walk in, his is like the cleaned up version of this house when they go in and there's a, oh, that's, the giant staircase. Yeah. And, stuff, yeah. and they have that, like where they shoot like the familiar guy on the stairs is all played out similar. Mm. Um, so that's, I think it has to be intentional. Like it's too similar to not be. And I would say the same thing about the, the visual of the, the girl at the end. And this one, it's the, what's her name? Again, Die Hard, Susan? Die Hard's wife is how I'm going to refer Die to Hard's her. Wife. <laughs> um, but it's um, the visual of her in that white dress, and then when you when it's, the vampire face is revealed and the teeth are off to the side and her and stuff because all the vampires look a little mm-hmm. different. That's obviously heavily influenced on Fright Night as well when the girlfriend character is left in the room with the white dress on and she's been t- turned. Like it can't be a coincidence to how similar it looks. So I think that it's, yeah, let's call it an homage. I didn't put that together. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't put that together, but yeah, you're right. I think it was once I saw the staircase, I went, holy shit, this is like really influential. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh. And then the scene where Barlow's at like a dance club and yeah. has a sexy dance with Susan. No, that's just <laughs> right now. It would have been a hoedown <laughs> in town this size. <laughs> and that doesn't happen until the sequel. <laughs> Oh, good Lord. Um, so as we mentioned, there was like a prequel short story and then there was a sequel short story called one for the road where somebody's car breaks down right side out of Salem, right outside of Salem's lot. Yeah. And, um, they walk back, like the dad walks back to a bar, not too far away to ask for help. And these people are like, Oh, you're broken down outside of Salem's lot. And they almost don't want to go, but then they sort of do. And then of course get attacked by vampire children mm-hmm. um so it's a great short story but instead of uh making a sequel out of that there you go and made his own sequel and noah do you want to tell us about that do i have to <laughs> <laughs> uh so there's a guy who's like a douchebag uh i guess documentary filmmaker or writer or something yeah it's kind of Punches his cameraman in the face for yeah, talking back. Yeah, vague. Uh, and then he's got a son who's also a little fucking shit. Uh, he gets called back from a work trip to take care of his douchebag son or his son's going into some kind of institution because parents of year, parents of the year on both sides of the equation, apparently. Uh, he has recently inherited a house from his aunt in Salem's Lot. So he takes his son there for quality time, I guess. And they're going to clean up this old house that turns out to be a complete shit box. Uh, and the entire town is actually vampires. And they want him to write a Bible for them. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much the plot. Oh, and then a crazy fucking old dude that's a Nazi hunter shows up. 
<laughs> I was going to say, you forgot the Nazi hunter. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. This movie sucks dicks. Um, yeah. And it pretty much sucks dicks every second of the movie that doesn't involve that fucking old man. Every second that involves the old man's awesome. Yeah. Um, I can't believe this. I think I'm the most positive on this movie. Oh my god! I look the opening with him getting like his wife tricks him into coming home from wherever the hell he is filming like native rituals, and then just dumps his son on him. And then he's like, "Well, I guess we. You want to go on a job with me?" And the kid's like, "No." And he's like, "Then I guess we'll go to this town where I inherited a house." And then <laughs> he just buys a car day of because it's cheaper than taking a cab. And then they get there, and you're like, "This is." fucking stupid like i cannot believe how dumb the writing is to get them into this setup but once they're in the town i think it's fun like i think it's not yeah. it's not i think that not effective I think cons- the way the original one is yeah conceptually this is a really cool idea like the idea of you get to see how a town full of vampires like functions and exists but yeah. that's not really what you get no i I agree this isn't like great horror, right? This is a Larry Cohen film. I don't know why anyone would expect it to be great horror, right? <laughs> um, but it's the, the idea of making a horror movie with a similar plot is really interesting, but that's not what they did. They made this like fun 80s, like there's tons of unnecessary nudity. There's lots of gore. One of the vampires is like all blue and shit. And he just lives in the woods for some reason. We never really get a good story on that. It's... <laughs> Well, I think the explanation is supposed to be that that's the judge, right? Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because then at the end, he's like, eh, you pissed me off and made me transform. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but you were transformed a bunch of times earlier in the movie. Well, that's, so that's... that's why I thought it was a different vampire, is because <laughs> I thought it was rare for him to transform. Uh, yeah, this movie's not good at all. Uh, it's terrible. Now... Let me ask you, Brian, is it not good because you like the original and you like the original story and you just are pissed that this is the sequel to it? Uh, well, I mean, yes to that stuff, but not just because. Okay. I feel like the acting is pretty terrible across the board. Agreed. Um, the, the sequel... Um, sequel... I don't know, we'll call it sequelitis of this... Um, does not follow the first movie whatsoever. Yeah, no, it, the, I think what Noah might have left out of here is that these vampires have been in this town since the 1600s in this yeah. movie, which is directly contradictory to the fact that we saw them show up in 1979. Also, yeah. also the, the previous movie literally ends with them setting that house on fire and them saying it's blowing toward town and that it's mm-hmm. going to burn the whole town to the ground. Yeah, which I actually really enjoyed, but um, yeah. Uh, so as a sequel, this is not good. I agree with you. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't think the effects are all that great. There's maybe like one or two moments where they're the Michael Moriarty and the Nazi hunter guy are going around killing vampires. Yeah, during the day, and some of those effects aren't bad, but everything else, I'm just like this. Like none of, I, like the uh, the, I don't know the judge is blue form or whatever we want to call it. I felt it looked silly. I agree. 
You mean um, that fucking Halloween rubber mask? Yeah. That literally jiggles when he moves? Yeah, yep. it's bad. Um, it's not good. Like I said, the acting's not great. Michael Moriarty is swinging for the fences like he always does. But I sent a message to you guys. I'm like, he sounds like Bill Burr. Like, he's just complaining about everything. And then punches his cameraman in the face for no reason. So, I mean, he's just like, I don't know, an asshole. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And his kid's an asshole, Mm -hmm. as we pointed out. Whereas the dad at some point is like, hey, guess what? This town is full of fucking vampires. We should go. And he's like, but I don't want to leave. I love vampires. I want to stay here forever. And I'm just like, you're a fucking idiot. Leave that kid. Just be like, okay, bye. The, Jump in the car, drive off. I was going to say, and there's more than once in this movie where there are insinuations made about weird child vampire sex, which are just completely fucking inappropriate. Yeah, which they also then play out on screen because we find out that his crush when he was a kid, because apparently he spent time in this town as a boy and didn't realize it was a vampire town. Um, and we find out the girl that was 17 that apparently he lost his virginity to. Um, was turned was turned into a vampire. And now she's seventeen forever. And then he has sex with her again, Whoa. and we see her naked. Okay, in the interest of fairness, I can't believe you guys are making me be the one that defends this movie. Um, but it's made very clear that she's not seventeen forever. She maintains the physical form of a seventeen-year-old, which is in an eighties movie the same physical form as a twenty-eight-year-old. And but she <laughs> continues to mature, right? So she's not 17. She just looks the same as she did back then, which is how about how about them child vampire weddings, though? Yeah. Yeah. But again, they're Reed getting married to douchey kid. But again, they're not meant to be. It's the idea is that they are continuing to mature despite staying in a child's body. And that's why it's okay for them to get married. Right. I guess. But if you look at near dark, that one kid who's been like 13 forever complains about being stuck in a child's body, which is way more interesting. Well, I'm, I'm not arguing that this isn't as, this is better than near dark. That that's absurd. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Did not like it. I, I, I'm not saying this is a good movie. I'm saying eighties cheese, pretty fun to watch. Like, when the, like when they go to the judge's house and the judge and the wife have like you go to the bedroom and there's two coffins beside each other and they sleep in them, that's kind of fun. Like I say, Nazi hunter shows up because one of the one of the vampires used to be a Nazi before he became a vampire, so they're like accidentally brought Nazi hunters to town. That's fun. I don't know. I I I didn't hate this movie. I I'm again it, it was. It's 1987. It's Larry Cohen. If you know those two things going into it, you have to expect something different from what the original is. And apparently he wrote a script for the first movie and it was rejected. For the 1979? Someone said it was, yeah. And someone said it was one of the worst scripts they've ever seen in their entire life. That's probably true. (laughs) It's probably not far off from what this movie was. It's probably just... Probably dusted it off, changed the date on the cover thing. He's like, "Hey, let's let's do this." And they're like, "Okay, Larry." That actually makes a lot of sense to me that something similar to that happened, because clearly this isn't intended to be a sequel to the previous film. No, it's meant to be a standalone story with the taking advantage of the title. 
But I thought the like I thought some of the ideas were fun too. The idea that like the vampires breed with humans to get these like half breeds, and that's who watches over the town during the day. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, which they then kill off by shooting them with a Nazi killing gun. Yeah, because they're still they're human enough. <laughs> I know, but it's just like oh, we're killing people with guns in this vampire movie. Gotcha. But they're yeah, the human characters get killed with guns. Yeah, still. I did the one scene that really bugged me was like the one like the one Nazi the Nazi hunter is like picked off a couple of guys and he's about to shoot the one cop and then like our lead character like no I got this one he takes his gun from him and it engages in a shootout and wins. So well the other guy we've established in dialogue that he's been hunting Nazis for thirty years. That's why he knows how to shoot. Why do you suddenly know how to shoot? <laughs> he's a documentarian who's following tribes down in the rainforest. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm surprised how down you guys are in this movie. Like, it's at the end there when they're just running around killing everything. And it's got a really like a, it's like a cartoon version of Last Man on Earth where they're just going house to house and like hammering stakes into the coffins, and we just keep seeing the vampires wake up and then get killed. That's super fun. Mm, I don't know. I'm surprised you guys didn't wouldn't have enjoyed that. And the old man gets in, in like a bear trap because <laughs> I think I think I mentioned that was. <clears throat> that was where the most enjoyable part of the effects and stuff were. Yeah. Because it's just vampires getting killed after vampire. Like, it's 10 minutes of just like they go into a house, kill some vampires, go into a different house, kill some vampires, go around and around. Yeah. And they have to fight the judge at the end. Yeah. And then the Nazi hunter shoots himself in the stomach for some reason. Yeah. I don't need reasons for doing things in a movie I mean, like this. Well, yeah. It's so the vampires couldn't have him. Yeah. But then he shows up at the end later, and I'm like, wait, but. You shot yourself in the stomach. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's one of the most like painful ways to die. So you picked a stupid, horrible way to try to kill yourself. Yeah, it's not a smart way. No. That's why it didn't work. What about the idea uh, yeah. the idea of the vampires keeping cows that they can suck the blood out of the cows and then just <laughs> let them go and the cows like give them some time, they'll be fine, and then you can just suck the blood out of them again. And they're like, see, we're more humane than humans. You murder the cows for food. We just injure them. <laughs> nurse them back to um, life was the assumption at the end of the movie that the cows were going to cause a vampire outbreak it was sort of implied yeah it was sort of implied yeah. the idea that we i think the idea of being humans would slaughter the cows eat the meat and get the vampire into their system somehow it's not stated yeah i don't know doug i'm, I'm seems like a weird one for you to be on board for well the thing is like i like the first one so much right and then like i I'd forgotten because you told me last week that Larry Cohen directed this. I didn't know. So I like hit play and his name pops up and I went, Oh, well, we're not here for the reasons I thought we were here. (laughs) We're doing something altogether different. So I was like right away able to like close my mind off to the idea of thinking this as a sequel to the 79 film and just seeing it as a standalone fun little vampire movie. And again, I will not defend anything in the setup. It was the stupidest setup I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but once they're in the town and like teenage boy is like, fuck this dad, I'm just going to stay with the vampires. Like everybody else is mean to me. You can understand why, right? He hasn't seen his dad in three years. And then his mom brings him to the airport and makes him bring all his stuff. And when the dad shows up, he's like, is my son sick? Nope, he's not sick. He's right here. He's yours now. And the mom and the new husband leave. <laughs> he's like, so you're the dad I haven't seen in three years? Yeah. Where do we live now? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, 
<laughs> like you can see why he'd be like, I'll just hang out with the vampires. The, the cute one keeps kissing me. I'll take it. You're uh, you're not wrong too when he says "fuck you, dad," yeah. because that kid says "fuck you" about twenty times in I this know. movie. They really earned their R rating, <laughs> right? Yeah, which apparently this was made to go direct to video, and somebody at the studio was like, "You know what? Not bad. Let's do theatrical." Really? And it completely bombed. Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's, no, like, I again, like when I watched it, I was thinking direct to video, nineteen eighty seven type movie. I wasn't yeah. thinking. You know, this this got made because there was a flurry of vampire movies between like 85 and 87, which were, we've already discussed, were a direct response to Salem's Lot. Like that first movie influenced a whole generation of movies, which then allowed someone like Larry Cohen to go, well, I have this script. What if I make a movie? And they're like, here's a small amount of money to go do that as long as you don't bug anybody. <laughs> There was one moment that I actually thought was sort of creepy early on when I didn't realize this was like going to be basically a comedy yet. When he first comes back to town and he's walking around and there's the voices whispering in the background, like he's back, he's here to stay with us and the whole time. I'm like, that is a really cool effect. I thought they did that really well. The idea that like all these other vampires are like whispering to each other, but they can't come out because it's daytime. But they're all excited that he's he's back because they've all been waiting for him. They, you know, the one wants to marry him, and the rest just want him to write a book. Um, I don't even know if I heard that. If I did, I was completely not paying attention. <laughs> well, that might be part of the problem. <laughs> I think through the setup, I was like, eh. yeah, it happens. It happens for a few times in like the parts where they're like walking around the town, just at the beginning there, when the kid, like at one point, the kid get goes and explores the school. You get that shitty jump scare where he's about to go down in the basement and then like the janitor or whatever shows up. Yeah. You know what this felt more like than a Salem's Lot what? sequel? A Children of the Corn movie. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. I wonder if Larry Cohen made a, wrote a Children of the Corn movie because he knew they were making like 20 of them. I mean, it's plausible that he made it, that he wrote one of the Children of the Corn movies who can keep track of them all. And he was just like, you know what? I'll just I'll just do the thing on my computer that will replace words, and we'll say it's a vampire instead of children. Brian, nineteen eighty-seven. He would have had to go through with whiteout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well it's Larry Cohen. He he got a computer from the future. And- I feel like your first theory is more correct that this is very similar to the script he wrote for the original one. Yeah. Probably to me that makes the most sense. Um, Cause that, but just the images of like, because all the vampire children are playing and stuff yeah. uh, at night, and they sh- you see shots of them like when they um, uh, Michael Moriarty's character is like, "Where's my son?" And they're like, "See, he's playing with the children," and the children are just like running down the street and stuff. I'm like, "Yeah, this feels way more like a Children of the Corn movie." Yeah, than a I thought Lost. those shots were actually surprisingly effective and well done. Um, like of all the like all the kids kind of all wearing white running up the street together and we know they're monsters so it makes it a little creepy yeah I like that <clears throat> and we all knew Tara Reed would turn into a monster so <laughs> I don't think I even nice realized it was her that. until you guys started saying it I'm like oh yeah yeah yep it was her very first movie it is a little weird how much the kids are like making out in this and I'm like I don't know yeah yeah, especially when uh, 
the dad's like, did you get laid last night? And the kid's like, no, did you? When, when he goes, did you get laid last night? The kid goes, I'm just a kid. Like, he's like, <laughs> like the kid knows better than to ask that question. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I slept with this girl who still looks like she's 17. It, it's so funny, though, because it, it feels like it's a tribute to uh, the Argento films that we've discussed in the past. Because you're like, she doesn't look 17 at all. Why would you have to write in the line of dialogue to say she looks 17 when she obviously doesn't <laughs> look 17? <laughs> I don't know. Like ever since I learned about this movie, I kind of wanted to check it out, but was a little scared too. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's going to be fucking terrible. And it turns out, I feel like I was right. Yeah. I don't, I'm trying to figure out like, like I'm not, I'm not weirdly. Guess, you're like positive. On I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not positive on it in the sense that it's a good horror movie. It's not, you know, like it's not like near dark or something or even like lost boys. <laughs> But in the realm of like '80s cheese, like we've talked about plenty of other Larry Cohen movies on this podcast, and we've always been kind of like, yeah, like they're fun and dumb, and I think that's what this is. Again, after the setup, I cannot defend anything about that whole setup. The first ten minutes or whatever it is is just unforgivable. Once they're in the town, I'm like, all right, it's like a weird like. It, it again it has last man on earth vibes it has children of the corn vibes but those are all good things right it's just what about when he gra- he drugs his kid and tries to like run out of town with them like why does he run out of town I, I don't know why didn't he throw him in the car and take off it feels like they could have left whenever they wanted to and it also feels like yeah. if he really wanted to he could overpower that kid so just put him in the car and go yeah I wonder if they were meant to have been there longer and it's supposed to be like, like if it's just bad filmmaking, that it feels like they got there and like five days later is the climax. Maybe if you see the house that they're fixing up, it's like, it seems like it's getting fixed up way too fast. Like it's like you just see a kid with like some sandpaper and then like the next thing you know, the kitchen cabinets are redone and you're like, that, that feels like it would take a while to do by hand. Like for a 12 year old or whatever he's supposed to be. Yeah. I don't know. Does anybody else have anything else? <laughs> this movie sucked. I, yeah, I, I'm surprised how dismissive you are. I'm surprised Noah's not more into it. Again, with the Nazi hunter. Uh, no, I mean, I'd say, like I said, it's it's enjoyable and it's a bad fucking movie type of way. Yeah. That's, that's about all I got out of it. We already said Larry Cohn directed it. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, I don't know. I guess I guess my expectations just completely changed when that name came up on screen, and I just went, "Oh, all, all right." <laughs> it's like, I don't know how we go from because I watched these like I watched the the mini series on Sunday and then this on Monday night, so I'm like, I don't know how we went from a Toby Hooper mini series that I really enjoyed that's a real slow burn that really takes its time and concentrates on the horror, and then we give the sequel to Larry Cohen. It doesn't make any sense at all, but. 1987 man thanks for calling the midnight drive-in no one is here to take your call for more info check out the midnight drive-in on twitter at mn drive-in pod or find us on facebook if you want to email us send it to the midnight drive-in at gmail.com remember no outside food and drink anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling.
did get sort of some feedback this week on uh, Apple Podcasts. We got a five-star review. It's titled Love for the Genre. Brian, Doug, and Noah are quite entertaining, which is false, as they review a double feature of genre movies every episode. If you've ever... Not technically true either. If you've ever enjoyed talking talking with movies, good and bad, with your friends, this podcast will make you feel at home. Uh, that was sent in by a totally not Christopher Walken. So thank you, not Christopher Walken. Do you think he was lying or do you think that was actually Christopher Walken? Well, he's not reliable based on the fact that he said we're a good podcast. That's uh, true. So you can't trust anything else he says either. <laughs> And if you weren't Christopher Walken, why would you need to point out that you weren't Christopher Walken? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right, what's everybody watched since last week? Jack shit. Okay, done. <laughs> um, let's see, I watched the 1975 film Autopsy. All it's, right. an Ita- it's an Italian movie. And boy, oh boy, is it. <laughs> the opening scene is just a naked woman committing suicide on camera. That's one of about seven suicides that happen before we're introduced to the main characters. <laughs> uh, well, is that the whole point of the movie? Crazy yeah. suicides? So, yeah. So the idea is that the main character is this, uh, I don't know, medical student or whatever, and she's working in this morgue in Rome as like, I don't know if she's supposed to be an intern or a student or whatever she is. And there's all these suicides happening and people are blaming it on the fact that there's this heat wave. Um, but the brother of one of the victims shows up and he's convinced that his sister was actually murdered. So now they're going to go and investigate. And it's in a shocking twist. It ends up being someone you could not possibly predict has <laughs> been killing some of these people. Right? <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, it's Italian, so you can't predict the ending. There's a ridiculously unnecessary subplot about how the priest, who's also the brother of one of the victims, is also a former race car driver <laughs> who had sure. a big accident that killed some people a few years ago. So I don't know why that's in the movie. Um, pretty good, I guess, is what I would say. There's some weird, like, when the, like, when the student who's our main character is like having these, like she's getting really worn out from having to deal with all these dead bodies that are coming in, which they at the time think is from this heat wave. (laughs) She has some weird dream sequences where the bodies are getting up, of course, completely naked off the slabs and coming after her. Of course. Really, really fun stuff to watch. There's, I think only two attempted rapes in the whole movie, which is pretty good for an Italian movie. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it, it delivers. It's just complete and utter sleaze. Um, just, that's, that's just nonstop. Though. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's what you're uh, that's what you're looking for, right? Uh, specifically, if you go to an Italian uh, horror movie like that, yeah, from 1975, or yeah, thriller or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I don't know what you call it. Somebody, I, I read a review of it that said something like, "It's it's kind of a sci-fi film because they're blaming the deaths on these sunspots, but it's also kind of a murder mystery, but it's also kind of a thriller, but it's also there's also a weird love triangle between a priest who used to be a race car driver and a girl who's dating a new, different race car driver." It's like, 
Jesus. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> Fucking Italians, man. God. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it it delivers what it promises, which is like, hey, it's called autopsy. Lots of autopsies in it. So that's what you're looking for. <laughs> I will say, like like a lot of these movies, like when the mystery is taking place, there's a, a period in the middle where it's kind of like slow. But uh, and there is a there is a, a moment where a guy falls off of like a thing and he like breaks his back. And I was like super disappointed because it looks pretty good and we don't get the stupid <laughs> dummy fall that I'm so accustomed to in Italian cinema. But then at the end of the movie, two guys are fighting on some scaffolding and I'm like, oh, this movie's going to totally redeem itself. And it sure does. <laughs> we get a great dummy fall at the end. Like almost at the level of like when Married with Children used to do the fake dummy fall. <laughs> <laughs> That's some high quality dummy falls. Yeah, it's it's so funny watching a movie like this because you're like, um, I don't know. It's if that fall looks good, I'm almost disappointed. Like I want it to look like a stupid dummy fall, <laughs> which makes no sense. Why would I want it to be worse? But that's how it works. So, because when the first guy fell and it looked pretty good, I was like, I can't. I don't even know how to tell Noah about this. Like he'll be so upset. <laughs> <laughs> the second one happened I'm like oh okay <laughs> fair enough redeemed you guys uh, you guys might appreciate the story about why I watched this movie okay so like like I'm a single guy right so I'm on these like dating apps mm-hmm. and I get a random message from someone that just said it says in your uh, it says in your profile that you're a horror movie fan have you seen Autopsy from 1975 someone recommended it to me and I'm not sure if I should watch it so I went I haven't seen it, but I'll watch it tonight and I'll let you know if it's good or not. <laughs> to which she replied, like, you don't have to do that. And I'm like, oh, actually, I, I do. <laughs> I'm like, you don't understand how this relationship is going to work. I, I, I was like, I do. I Now that you put it in a, in a text, I can't go to bed until I watch it. So, And then I told her that it has – <laughs> what did I say to her the next day? I said, uh, I'll read it. Trigger warning for suicide, violence, nudity, and rape. But that's part of the charm of this type of film. <laughs> I said, I don't think things are going to work out with her. <laughs> Suddenly stopped responding. Weird, huh? <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, it's almost like when I told my girlfriend Chopping Mall is one of the greatest movies ever, and she Cinematic masterpiece. She's wrong. She is wrong. I make like, sure to tell her that all the time. I it's not even just wrong. It's like if you watch Chopping Mall and you don't enjoy it, like it's go to therapy. Find out yeah. who did what to you that you're suppressing that's causing you to not enjoy that film. Especially after she told me she enjoyed Lamageddon. It's like, <sighs> you serious? Some people have terrible taste in cheesy movies. I don't understand I guess. it. I guess. I don't get it. I, I make her watch <sighs> Chopping Mall every day for the next year. Until she agrees that it's good. That's what I would do. <laughs> Sounds like a sound strategy. Yeah. It's a cinematic masterpiece. How can you not like Chopping Mall? Now I might have to watch Chopping Mall before I can go to bed tonight. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <sighs> it's a vicious cycle. That's why you should ask the lady on the dating app. Have you ever seen Chopping Mall? I should. I'll message her when we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
What else did I watch? Oh, I watched the new Netflix film, Nowhere, because Netflix is now releasing a one movie a week, apparently, where people are stranded somewhere. Last week, okay. they did that. Last week, they did that one about the people stranded on the mountain. This is a woman stranded at sea. So okay. uh, it's set during some fictional war. People are trying to escape from Spain. The human traffickers are putting them in shipping containers and sending them somewhere. And uh, basically, yada, 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 this woman's alone in her shipping container. There's a big storm and it falls off in the middle of the ocean. So now she's adrift at sea, alone in a shipping container, uh, nine months pregnant. So that's your setup, right? So the, the whole movie takes place, basically the whole movie takes place with her in the shipping container using like like small amount of things that she has around there to try to keep herself alive. Um, she does give birth on screen. If you're wondering whether the film has any weird graphic things in it, um, it's, it's more graphic than it needs to be. Uh, <laughs> they, didn't need to, they didn't need to show as much as they did with that. Um, it's actually a pretty good film though. It's like really, it, it's kind of a slow paced film. She's spending all the time alone one of the good things about having the baby come out is it gives her someone to talk to. So you have like dialogue in the film. It's not just complete silence, but you know, you watch her try to figure out how to use the few things that are in the shipping container with her to try and keep herself alive. And it's interesting the way some of it's done. She starts trying to catch, she eventually figures out how to get out on top of it so that she can actually like be out in the fresh air and stuff. She's trying to plug holes that are in it and all that kind of stuff. Pretty interesting. Um, the ending is a bit cheesy, where like there's there's a moment where like the container is now sinking, and so she's got to escape on like a makeshift raft that she's built and stuff. And of course, like it's like like filmmaking one hundred and one. Of course, she has to kind of get stuck in it as it's sinking, and then she gets herself free and swims back out. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, but it's just the way in which it happens just just really contrived and kind of annoyingly so and then there's like she can't she gets out of the top and she can't find the baby and then like a whale like shows her where the baby is and i'm like i don't know about that but (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's not it's not as as bad as i'm making it sound but it was bad enough that i'm like oh the movie was so good up until this point and i'm not really sure why you did that but there's but there's more good than bad in the film. I definitely recommend it if you're interested in those kind of like survival horror films. There's a moment where she cuts herself and she has to figure out how to sew the leg shut with uh, what she's got there and she does not have a needle and thread, so that's pretty graphic. Um, I don't know what else happened. Not like it's are one of those weird ones where you're like, I don't know what else happens in the movie. She's adrift the whole time. And yeah. uh, she's tries multiple times to catch fish to eat and she uh, like it's funny to watch her like fail like she's doing something and you're like oh like that's a little unrealistic and then she fails at it and you're like oh well yeah that is what would happen she would fail so now I'm fine with it but yeah it's a uh, it would definitely be a recommend from me I think uh, you know it, it, it's, if you're into that kind of a thing where it's one person lost alone at sea it's an interesting companion piece to that uh, Robert Redford film that we talked about that time, or where he was on the the boat and it was sinking. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, it's good. And then the weirdest thing I watched this week, 
I went and saw the movie Poor Things. Have you guys seen this one yet, or do you know what it is? I know what it is. I have not seen it yet. So it's, yeah. I figured it would be up your alley. It's very Frankenstein. It is, and I didn't know that. it got Because it got nominated for, like, Best Picture, it showed up in all of my, uh, all, like, all the algorithms were, like, showing me things for it. So finally I watched the trailer, and I'm like, oh, well, I didn't know it was a Frankenstein story. <laughs> but, yeah, so... Basically, Willem Dafoe plays like a Frankenstein-like scientist, and he's all fucked up. Like his, if you've seen the pictures, he's like he looks all messed up. And he brings his assistant home, and he's got like his quote-unquote monster, which is Emma Stone, walking around the house. And the idea is that she is like a woman who committed suicide. She was pregnant. I guess that's a sub theme for my film watching this week. <laughs> so she was pregnant. And so Willem Dafoe with a straight face goes, I did the only logical thing I could do in the moment. I cut the brain out of the baby and then I put it into the adult woman to see what would happen. <laughs> and you're like, I, I don't know who thinks that's the logical thing to do in these circumstances, but uh, all right. And so the movie ends up being like, basically this assistant is supposed to be monitoring her and following her progression as she grows to see if she's going to like learn how to be a normal human being or not. Um, and at one point they bring in the, so the, the, the assistant is now going to marry the monster, <laughs> which is an interesting subplot to have. Um, they bring in a lawyer played by Mark Ruffalo to write up the paperwork for this. And he falls for her and ends up convincing her to leave with him and go on an adventure, which is when they wander out of London, which is, I think, where the main film is taking place. It's all, like, been in black and white. It has sort of an old, like, Universal Monsters feel to everything, Mm -hmm. Um, excluding the fact that there's also a chicken with a dog head running around in the background the whole time that they never address. Um, When they leave, they end up in, I realize the rest of the world is this, like, steampunk universe that they live in which is an interesting change (laughs) and they go off and basically it's like as she grows um she kind of outgrows him she ends up becoming a prostitute in paris which upsets him to no end (laughs) she makes you know all these friends along the way and stuff and ends up coming home like as the as the scientist guy is is dying she comes home and there's, there's a big climax that involves um, finding out who she was before she originally died and her original husband wanting to get her back and stuff like that. Um, I won't spoil all the details of that because it gets even weirder. But I think this might be the weirdest movie I've ever seen in my life. Ever? I think so. Like there is a there is a chicken with a dog head running around in the background of this film that they just don't talk about and a dog with a goose head. I don't know if the dog's head came off that same dog body or not. They don't bring it up because that's not, that's too normal for this film. They don't bother to address it. (laughs) It is so strange to watch this thing happen. It's all played for comedy. The Mark Ruffalo character is like just a, I don't know, like a cartoon version of a misogynist who's just like, and I don't even know how to explain it. He just he just keeps getting really upset as she becomes more of like a human being and learns to think for herself. It just really frustrates him all the time. And he throws these little like hissy fits where he's like stomping his feet and mad because she wants to read a book instead of like go have sex with him. <laughs> it's very strange. 
Um, it's it's a high recommend for people who are interested in what I just described. <laughs> I don't. Uh, don't like be prepared if you don't want to see Emma Stone naked. Don't go see this movie because I'm a lot. It is way more graphic than I expected on that front. Um, which funny side note, I recommended it to Ted today. To which then he oh, was yeah. he was he was going to take his daughter, and then he showed up at my desk later in the day. Like, uh, yeah, I googled that film. I guess I'm not going to go. And I'm like, why? He's like, well, I was going to go with my daughter. I'm like, well, I didn't say that. Don't do that. <laughs> I meant go by yourself and sit awkwardly in the back like I did. <laughs> uh, that's funny. But yeah, um, a really just really unique, interesting take on the traditional Frankenstein story. Um, we also get all the background on the Willem Dafoe character and why he's all deformed, which is, I mean, the, the short version is because his father was a scientist who experimented on him. And he sees that as perfectly normal behavior, which explains why he thinks it's normal that when you find like a suicide victim, you remove the baby from her stomach and put its brain in the adult head and then bring it back to life. Um, the ending is the ending is something else. Like, I don't know if I should spoil it, but it's, it's something else. Um, very unique, really weird movie. <laughs> so I don't even know. Just of all the movies we've done on this show, and you said this is the weirdest movie you've ever seen. Yeah. Something. It's, well, it's super weird because it's like these A-list actors doing all this shit. Like, there's, okay, there's a there's a, a little thing going on in the background of the film where whenever they sit down to eat, right? That, mm-hmm. The Willem Dafoe character is hooked up to some machine. And then after he eats, he, like, burps out, like, a big bubble that, like, comes out of his mouth and, like, drifts across the room. And it happens a couple of times and no one addresses it. And then finally, like, somebody's like, what the fuck, right? Because that's happening. Like, <laughs> And he's like, oh, well, yeah, see, my father, when he was experimenting on me, he removed these, like, intestinal glands. Um, and now, I, now I, I have to be hooked up to this machine or else I can't digest my food at all. And he's like, well why would he do that? And he's like, well, he wanted to prove that we absolutely needed them. And he was able to prove that. <laughs> it's like, what, what did you just say? Like, like he's proud of his dad for proving that we absolutely need these intestinal glands because he removed them. And now look, I need to be hooked with this machine. Isn't my dad brilliant? Sure. It's so fucking weird. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. <laughs> Doug doesn't know what to think. Uh, I do know what to think. I think I liked it, but I'm just not, it's like, I'm really I, I'm careful about recommending it to people because I'm like, you should see it. Also, probably most people shouldn't, but, <laughs> but people listening to this probably should. I don't know. Ted should definitely not take his daughter. No, nobody should take their daughter. <laughs> I think you should see it, Brian. And then we, you and me should talk about it some more so that I can, yeah, I've thought about checking it out. So we'll see. I also weirdly I went to a movie like this, but because it's been nominated, I went to a three thirty in the afternoon screening and the theater was full. And I'm like, it's weird how many people are here to see this movie. I knew that going into it that it was weird. And then as the movie's going on, I'm like, I can't everyone's enjoying it. How can this audience be enjoying this? <laughs> so were there walkouts? No. And there was like old people there. 
But I guess like, I guess old people want to see Emma Stone naked too. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't Google the age difference between Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo either, but that made me feel weird. Not sure exactly what how, how what the age difference is, but I don't I don't think it's appropriate. No, you don't think so? Nope. How old do you think Mark Ruffalo is? Fifty six. Uh, are you checking or are we just leaving it at that? How old is Mark Ruffalo? Wow, he is fifty six years old. Really? Good job, Doug. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty proud of myself. Um how old is Emma Stone? Thirty five years. So twenty one years difference. That's not, I guess I mean they're both like old enough where you can do what you want. Yeah. Did you think she was still like twenty two for some reason? I, I was going with like thirty. Man. Anyways, she has sex with so many men in that film, though. It's not like it's just him. <laughs> you know, she didn't really have sex with him, right there. Well, I I understand that. But for the purposes of the film, it weirdly, it spends like a lot of time in the middle exploring the idea that like as a hooker, she has to have sex with all these men. Sometimes she enjoys it and sometimes she doesn't. And she's trying to figure out like almost like trying to figure out when she enjoys it, when she doesn't. She got that baby brain. Yeah. Well, by that point, she's relatively well developed. Hmm. So I don't know. Fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) So fucking weird. (laughs) Uh, did you watch anything else? Uh, other than that, I just watched the new, um, the new uh, Masters of the Universe. Oh yeah, yeah. Is it? I don't have Netflix anymore, so I can't watch it. Oh, it's. I mean, if you like the last one, you'll like this one as well. I think mm-hmm. um, it deals much more with the um, the idea of like technology versus magic and what should win. Um, so it, it's, it, in the opening episode, it's our sort of, uh, set up their missions. The idea is, so the King dies, which means Adam is going to become King, but on his deathbed, he tells Adam, like, you should really consider like giving up the power of He-Man because you probably don't want to be the King and the champion of the realm. Like you, that's too much for one person. And so what ends up happening is after Skeletor like attacks the town and all that, somebody has shown up claiming to be the king's brother who was forbidden from taking the throne. It's very kind of Thor and Loki where he was belonged to some other realm and so he wasn't allowed to have the throne even though he would have otherwise gotten it. So uh, he and Adam ends up conceding the throne to him, but it turns out he's been working with Skeletor and the Horde the whole time. So that's kind of your driving force. Um, Meanwhile, Tila, who's now Sorceress from the last series, is trying to figure out how to uh, recreate their whatever their version of Heaven is called. Mm -hmm. So she's, because it was destroyed in the last series. So she's now trying to recreate that, and she has to go on a mission to gather certain types of magic from other groups in order to do that. They, they set up a little love story between He-Man and Tila oh. just in case, in case they it's just, because it's just like the most obvious thing. And they're like, yeah, of course yeah. we're at that point where we got to do this. Um, but yeah, I liked it. I think if you liked the last one, you'll like this one. It's very similar in tone. It 
does feel like a, a continuation still of everything, everything in like the style of the, the art and everything. It all feels like just a direct continuation. So I'd recommend it to anyone who liked the last season. A lot more, nice. uh, a lot more Mark Hamill doing voices in this one. So, and uh, Kevin Smith uh, teased on his show that Shatner's in this one. He is, and you get a Shatner, uh, Mark Hamill yep. back and forth. So you get a Captain Kirk and a Luke Skywalker talking to each other. Why would you? Why would you not have that? Right. Kevin Smith knows what's up. It must have been so. Can you imagine being Kevin Smith and you're like, get to put them in the room together? You're <laughs> responsible for it. How happy he must have been that day. Right? It's so funny. Honestly, I was just excited when I heard Mark Hamill was doing Skeletor, the yeah. first series. And I was just like, well, of course. That makes perfect sense. I wouldn't have even thought of that. Yeah. He gets like a a technical upgrade in this one. So it's almost it's almost like in Jason X where he had like microtechnology like rebuilding him, but it but it's a skeletor equivalent. Nice. Which is fun. Yeah. I I I I don't want to oversell it because I know there's people who don't like this new version of Masters of the Universe, but mm-hmm. I think if you like the last one, you'll like this one. Nice. Yeah. I need to figure out a way to check it out at some point. Yeah, you gotta be nice to somebody who has Netflix and let it's only like five episodes, so you just need to be nice to them for like an afternoon. You can get it all in. Yeah. Can't share passport passwords anymore. No. Dicks. Souls. They really ruined that. They really ruined us stealing from them. I don't right? know why they had to go and do that. Well, it sucks even worse because they did that. And instead of like people being like, Well, fuck Netflix, like subscriptions to Netflix went up. Yeah, it worked. So Netflix was like, yeah, see? And I'm like, God damn it. It fucking worked. Yeah, because I have to admit, like, I got rid of Netflix because of that. And then I eventually kind of got it back because everybody else has it. So it wasn't really fair to my kid to cancel it. And then now they're putting out, like, halfway decent stuff once in a while. And I'm like, well, I can't. Yeah, I got to wait for the next season of uh, Cobra Kai and Stranger Things. And then, um, yeah. I can re-up it and binge through those. So, uh, anything else? Uh, no, that's everything for me. Well, I only watched, I've been watching the new True Detective, which has been great. Oh, yeah. Um, it has uh, ties to the first season, which has been a lot of fun because that was the best season. So, sort of looping around to some of that stuff, which has been fantastic. Um. And then the other thing is AMC was doing this thing called Scream Unseen. And they did it this previous Monday. Is they're going to do it next Monday where they, um, they're going to show a horror movie that is not released yet. Um, it's supposed to be coming out like within the next year or so, I guess. And, but they don't tell you what it is. You have to show up, buy a ticket. Tickets are only five bucks. And then uh, you don't know what the movie is until, like, the movie starts. Um, so I went. Uh, apparently this movie had, like, a festival run in, like, 2022. It looks like it got picked up by Sony because the Sony logo came up. And I was like, holy fuck, what if this is an early screening of Ghostbusters? That'd be fucking awesome. Uh, it was not, which kind of bummed me out. Um, but 
they showed this movie called Out of Darkness, um, which I believe was originally called The Origin. And it's about a group of um, like just out of the Ice Age, like Homo sapiens. So they got like the furs and stuff on. It takes place like 45,000 years ago. And they have hopped on a boat to go to um, the New World or whatever. Um, because back at home, like the animals have died out all of their, the, there's like a, um, I don't know if it'd be called a drought during like ice age stuff, but I don't know. Nothing's growing. Animals are dying out. So they've hopped on this canoe and traveled however far showing up at this new place. And when they get there, they're like, Oh fuck. Like it's happening here too. So they're disappointed because this guy was supposed to take them to the new world. And hey, you know, the, the stories are there's animals everywhere. You can hunt to your heart's content. And, you know, fruit grows from all the trees and all, you know, sort of that. It's just they get there. It's like windswept plains. And so everybody's like, fuck. Um, so it's them sort of like trying to figure out what to do. Uh, they see some mountains in the distance and they're like, we're going to go to the mountains because there'll be caves there. We could sort of build a home and then we can, you know, figure out where we're going from there. And it's going to take a couple days. So uh, they travel some, sleeping by firelight, and then a monster of some sort starts stalking them. So it becomes like, you know, Ice Age people versus a monster. And um, I would say three fourths of this movie were pretty good. And then. The ending kind of ruined it. Oh, it sucks. Because they sort of over-explain everything. And then it's like, oh, well, that's not what I wanted this to be. And so then you leave disappointed. So I don't know. Um, definitely not something I would have saw in theaters. I probably just would have watched it on streaming or something. Um, but I don't know. If you like the whole thing subtitled, uh, apparently the language they were speaking was made up. I was like, all right, let's only bit of trivia the movie has on imdb um yeah i don't know if you like that kind of stuff where it's like super far in the past and people having to survive and stuff there's some interesting moments but like i said kind of falls apart before the movie's over with that sucks yeah it sounded like it had potential to be interesting but yeah so they're doing uh, another screening on this following Monday, so I'm going to go to that one. We'll have to see if it's uh, something any good or not. But I like it was kind idea. of fun to go. Yeah. It was kind of fun to go and have just a complete mystery of like almost like back to the pre-internet days, where it's even like I don't know, I don't know what this is. Let's just go. Let's see. You don't ruin everything in every single trailer. Usually, there's only one trailer for a movie instead of like five. Yeah. So it was just kind of that fun, like, oh, I, I don't know what I'm getting into. Let's let's go and see, and hopefully it'll be good. Which kind of takes us back to watching movies like we did when we were kids. Yeah. No, that, that'd be super fun to just, like, go to the theater and not really know what you're going to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, apparently they tell you the rating and the fact that it's a horror movie, and that's it. That's pretty good. So. So I'm interested to see what it's going to be next week. A couple friends that couldn't go this week, they're planning on going next week. So hopefully it's 
Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. According to Doug, next month is Fanuary. No, according to Jeff. Sure. <laughs> um, so what order are we going in? Are we just going on how it's listed on the list? It doesn't really matter. Does it matter? There you go. To, to give you a feeling of control, you can select the first week. We'll even let you select the second week. Oh, okay. As long as it's from those four. Well, I mean, let's start it off with uh, the Quaid Brothers double feature. All right. So we're going to go Dreamscape, which I'm a big fan of, and Moving, which is a Richard Pryor movie that I have not seen. I saw Moving, like, way back in the day, and I remember thinking it was funny, but it's a long time ago. Yeah. So just knowing that the that moving is a comedy and that Dreamscape is a quasi horror movie, it's going to be an interesting dichotomy next week. Well, listen, that's pretty much what we did this week. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Anyways, uh, is Noah still awake? Wade. <laughs> uh, the answer would be yes. Yeah, it appears to be. Yeah. So. So you're going to get your Randy Quaid fill next week, Noah. Get old Randy Quaid. (laughs) Styrofoam cup. (laughs) God, I was listening to Alex Winter on a podcast talking about Freaked, and I kept thinking about that scene over and over again. Styrofoam cup. Why is Alex Winter on a bunch of like podcasts and stuff this week? Is he like got a new project or something? Uh, he was in a movie called Destroy All Neighbors, okay. um, which just went up on Shudder. Um, he uh, is a guy, he plays like, I think, the one of the titular neighbors, and he's done up in prosthetics and stuff. So okay. it's sort of a return to that freak, to, um, the bodybuilder version of himself and the third bill and ted movie and stuff so it was just one of those i heard the filmmaker on a different podcast and he was talking about how he wanted uh jonah ray to be in it jonah ray's office is like across the alley from alex winter's office and so he just went over and asked him like hey do you want to be in this movie and like gave him the script to read and he's like oh i really like this this is good yeah i'll be in it that's literally how it was how he ended up in the movie i'm still weirded out that alex winter has an office right well, he does a lot of documentary movies. Yeah, it's fair. So, yeah, he has a very thriving career. He just likes. He was talking on. Um, um, he was on uh, Best Movies Never Made. This is the podcast I was listening to. Okay, I, I have that downloaded. I just haven't listened to it. Yeah, and he was talking about that. You know, he doesn't really since he doesn't have to act to survive anymore. Because his main job is like this as a director doing documentaries and whatever else that he tries to find stuff that he finds super interesting and not stuff that he's going to be on set, just bored out of his mind the entire time. So I'm well, sure. Yeah. So um, I'm interested to check this movie out. I haven't watched it yet. So yeah, it's, but could, could be good. Yeah. It sounds be. different anyway. Nothing else. Which is a nice change. Mm-hmm. Um, what was my original point? Oh, yeah, just you brought up. We were talking about Freaked a little bit on the best movies never made, and I just thought about Randy Quaid saying Styrofoam Cup, which is the weirdest thing to have in your mind that have happened, but it's a thing that exists. 
And it's in my mind, all thanks to Noah. It's the reason why I make you guys watch these brilliant pieces of art. (laughs) Someday you'll just have random intrusive (laughs) thoughts of Randy Quaid. Well, I'd rather that one than his videos he was putting out. Weird how you have to pick and choose how you want to be disturbed by Randy Quaid. (laughs) (laughs) There was a time when he was just known as an actor. Yeah, what the fuck, man? What happened to him? Serious mental health issues. Yeah. I wonder if Dennis is just like, what the fuck? My brother's a messed up dude. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, obviously, I have no idea what goes on in the personal lives of the Quaid family, but... It's got to be weird to be Randy Quaid's brother. Just imagine, <laughs> just just living your life knowing he's out there. Yeah, Randy Quaid puts another video up where he's fucking his girlfriend while wearing a, was a Rupert Murdoch mask for some reason. Remember when he was saying they wanted to kill him and that there was like the star killers were going to get him and Britney Spears? You're like, yeah. I don't know if you two are on any lists together at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, hey, Dennis, what's up with uh, Randy's video? And he's just got to be like, I don't. Please stop. I don't, fucking, I don't fucking know. I don't know. Remember when my twins got sick in the hospital or whatever? Like, can we talk about that instead? It's easier. <laughs> Remember when Meg Ryan cheated on me with Russell Crowe? Huh? Want to talk about that? No? Just, God. That's how he changes the subject. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, God. See what you did now, and now we're on to this. It's all because of Randy Quaid. Yes. Technically makes this all Sean's fault. I guess that's true. Way to go, Sean. Week two of Fanuary, since the first week was Salem's Lot and Return to Salem's Lot. Technically, I listen to the show, so I get to pick. I should get to program a week in Fanuary every year. Now I kind of need to watch Freaked again. I was going to watch that before he goes to bed. Doug will be watching Chopping Mall. <laughs> Brian will be just I sleeping. Ain't watching shit before I go to bed. You oh, guys are lucky I'm not snoring into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let Noah go so he can go to sleep. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.